For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. We begin a new study series through the book of Colossians with an overview and an encouraging exposition of the first eight verses. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Believer's Assurance. All right, happy church. Let's find a seat and get started. We are diving into a new book, New New Testament study uh, today, Colossians, the book of Colossians. And chapter one, obviously, brand new study. We're going to go verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter through this four uh, chapter epistle. Beautiful uh, truths waiting for us and a wonderful blessing. Uh, Let's ask the Lord to help us along. Heavenly Father, now our brand new study, our hearts are eager to hear the word of the Lord. We recognize that this truth like all the scriptures, don't have their origin in any man. But from the Holy Spirit, Lord, you dictated through holy men of old, and they wrote as you gave them utterance through your Holy Spirit. So, Father, do the work that only you can in a supernatural, powerful way in our hearts to change us, encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said in the prayer... We are beginning a a new Sunday morning study through the book of Colossians. I mean, it picks up right where we left off because uh, Paul is in the same uh, prison cell there in Rome, and he's writing a few letters, and one of the letters is going to be also not just Philippians, which we finished, uh, but the book of Colossians. So the only thing really that has changed is the, the movement in the cell. Maybe he's on the other side of the cell for your mind. And so you already have much of the context. So uh, let's dive in. Here we go. The, the greeting goes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul, whenever he uses the term apostle to, uh, to um, introduce himself, it's usually because it carries some weight and authority to correct a problem. And the problem here with these Colossians is going to be false teaching, as we see. And he's saying, you know, he didn't call himself as a Christian. He was called, and the Lord apprehended him. So it's by the will of God that he was in the position that he's in, as so sort of a, a founding pastor, a missionary. That's what that word means. And he says, Timothy's here with me, uh, ministering to me in jail there. Uh, And to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So a traditional Christian greeting of grace. May God treat you better than you deserve. And as you know, the grace of God then and then alone can you have grace peace with God. First, you understand that he's been gracious and removed your sins through the death of Christ on the cross, and then you can have some uh, peace. Now, you may be asking yourself, where is Colossae, and how did a church end up there? Because I don't think that Paul ever really went there. You are asking some really good questions this morning. (laughs) 
You had a good breakfast, I see. So we're going to start by introducing the book and, and uh, Colossae and how the gospel got there, because that's part of the story. So what I love about the Bible is that when you hear of, of a date or a war or some kind of cultural thing, a person's name, a place, you can go there and see it. It's verifiable. The gospel is verifiable truth. And so it's, it's rooted in history. So there's such a place called Colossae to this day. Here's the street sign to prove it. I mean, you can go there, all right? <laughs> it's a place. I, by the grace of God, had the uh, honor and privilege of going there myself on a, on a tour of the seven churches of Asia. And uh, we went through Colossae on the way to Laodicea. You know? So we stopped there. Uh, I'm going to show you some pictures. Okay, just to show you uh, the, uh, where it is in Turkey. Okay, let me show you that. Okay, Colossae is where most of the, the New Testament churches were started in modern-day Turkey. So the gospel spread here. I might have it right here. There we go. The gospel spread up from Israel, and the first, the first um, Gentile Christian church was located right about here at Antioch, modern-day uh, Turkey as well. And from this missionary sending first real Christian church without a, a lot of Jews involved, uh, then Paul and the missionary team went out in this region and then into Europe with Philippi and all of that. So Colossae is right over here, and it's close to Ephesus. But I'll, let me show you just a little bit of the place. All right. If you go there, you'll be a little bit disappointed because there's not much there except some hills and some rocks. I mean, I'll show you here. Uh, there's uh, unbelievable. Now, uh, I took that picture. And that, that picture, uh, they were known, 2,000 years ago, the Colossians were known for their fine wool. 2,000 years later, this dude is, uh, appears, and I'm like, wow, not much has changed, you know? <laughs> and, and so there's another picture that I got off the internet. I was like, I saw those guys, you know? It was pretty amazing. Now, uh, most of those sheep end up here in the food. Uh, <laughs> That got a much better response first service. That apparently, well, they do. They like lamb and all of that stuff. And I wanted to show you some food. Now, there, uh, this was a while ago. I was a younger man uh, when I went there. And there I am. <laughs> There's like one hotel, one hotel there. We stayed there. So I turned to the book of Colossians. And I'm holding it open to Colossians, standing under the one hotel in Colossae. I thought it was cool, but, um, and I, yeah, I had hair. There wasn't a lot, but, you know, surprise, there it is. Okay, goodbye. All right, so how did the gospel get there? Let me, not funny. <laughs> Rule number one, never mess with a man with the microphone. Unless, of course, you're the sound guy. <laughs> All right, where's the missionary journey? Thank you. All right, how did, it, how did the gospel get there? Paul never been there. Well, here's what's going on. Paul, on his third missionary journey, Acts chapter 18 through about 21, talks about 
that this. Um, he, uh, on his third missionary journey, he stopped in Ephesus here, and he spent three years, the longest he spent anywhere in the New Testament uh, evangelistic effort. And uh, during the siesta time, the hottest part of the day, he rented a hall. This is in Acts chapter 19. He rented a hall uh, called the Hall of Tyrannus, and he preached the gospel, taught disciples, raised them up, and sent them out. Acts chapter 19 says, from Ephesus, the whole region of Asia. So when the Bible uses the word Asia, it means this part of Turkey. This is all Turkey. This part of Turkey, when the Bible says Asia or Asia Minor, it means this region. So from Ephesus, the entire region was evangelized. So scholars say that a man named Epaphras, we will meet him. He is not Epaphroditus uh, from the Philippians. That's another region. That's Europe. This is Turkey, all right? And so uh, uh, scholars say that Epaphroditus got saved, was a part of those lecture series, raised up as a disciple, and he is from a place 100 miles inland called Colossae. He went home, and he was the founding lead pastor of the church at Colossae. He also was the pastor of the church 10 miles from there, Hierapolis, and 10 miles from there, Laodicea, of Revelation chapter 3 fame, of being lukewarm and spinning out of mouth, that famous church there. And so... Um, the Lord put it on Epaphras' heart. Let me see the last slide. To go from Colossae, where he was pastoring those three little churches. Think of it as um, Santa Rosa, Roner Park, and Petaluma. And now you have the picture of Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. He, that pastor of those three churches, Epaphras, went from Col- Colossae to visit his mentor to get counsel and also to minister to him and to tell him what's going on in the church, primarily at Colossae. And what Colossae was going through is going to prompt the letter that becomes the letter to Colossians. Now, uh, unlike what was going on with the Philippians, they were not loving each other. The problem at Colossae was that there was some false teaching. And the false teaching involved Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism wasn't named for 100 more years, but they were the guys. And they were the guys who'd come into town and say, how quaint. You guys, the Apostle Paul, two thumbs up. Oh, you're saved and love Jesus. That's so nice. How quaint. You know, but there's a, another level of knowledge, and that's what it's called, Gnosticism from a Greek word, secret knowledge, enlightenment. And so they changed the gospel. Two things that they were doing, the gist of it was uh, Jesus was not God. So you are going to find four chapters of Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. And your salvation in the gospel is not enough. You've got to do other things or don't do other things. So the gist of Colossians is that Jesus is God, period. And when you have Jesus, you have the Lord God, you have everything you need. Number two, this gospel message is the real deal. And when you are saved through the word of the gospel, 
That is sufficient and enough. You have everything you need uh, to have and to be. And that is what is going on. So interesting, did you know that this pastor named Epaphras now, he's told Paul the story. He's going to write Colossians, right? He's going to hand it to Onesimus. Onesimus is the runaway slave of Philemon. Philemon is one of the pastors of Colossae. He lives in Colossae, Philemon does. Onesimus ran away, got in trouble, got thrown in with Paul. Paul led him to the Lord and sent him back with a letter to Philemon and a letter to the Colossians. Goes in the hand of the once runaway slave. And that is how we got the book of Colossians. Now we are going to uh, look at the first eight verses because they're very encouraging. Because he's going to save the weighty theological matters until about verse 15 and chapter 2 as well. But he's going to open up with some assurances. And why he's doing it is perfectly clear. He's going to assure them that, number one, you are truly saved. And number two, he's going to say, the, the message you heard is truly the gospel. Because the Gnostics are saying, you're not truly saved. And the message is lacking. You need some other revelation. And so the opening verse is just so nice. Uh, verses th- six, three through six, A, is um, he assures them of genuine Christianity. And uh, 6B, I should say, to 8 or 5B, whatever it is, he assures them of the truth of the gospel. So let's dive in there now with the getting started with the letter. All right? So he says... To assure them, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Saints means separated to God for his purposes. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up in heaven for you. Now, here we have some affirmation. And there's nothing like a little affirmation from the Apostle Paul to say, hey, I heard about your faith and two thumbs up. And instead of having concerns about you, like he told the Galatians, he's thanking God for what he hears about what's going on there as far as their spiritual lives goes. So why is he doing that? Because the, the heretics have come in and stirred them up. They had a little visit, and they started shaking them up. And Paul's going to say, hey, I've heard about what's going on. Two thumbs up. Let me affirm you. I'm thanking God, praying for what we see in your heart and life. Now, everybody needs some encouragement. We all fall short. We know the depravity of our own hearts and minds. And so to start off with a little bit of, uh, this is what I see. This is what you're doing right. You know, it just makes you more determined, more settled with any doubts and and more zealous to dedicate more and more when you know. I mean, it's like a marathon runner, you know, wants to know while he's running that he didn't miss a turn somewhere, right? And so the Apostle Paul's objective through the Holy Spirit is here. You did not miss any turn. Oh, yeah, you may be falling short here and there, but you have faith, hope, and love. And where you have faith, hope, and love, you have genuine 
salvation. So he's going to assure them with what is called the trinity of Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. If you've got that really going on, then we know that everything is going to be okay, uh, spiritually speaking. Now, first thing I want you to note indirectly is is that when it comes to assuring them uh, of their faith, he's going to go to evidence. He's going to look for evidence. Behavioral evidence is the only way to assure somebody that they're going to heaven. Nothing that comes out of here about profession of your faith. The evidence that he's going to uh, use to encourage them is that they are living the life. And you know, Brother James was real good at this. He was talking to people who said, I believe in God, I believe in God, but they didn't have one ounce of evidence to prove it, right? And so he said, you know who you have a lot in common with? The devil, you know? So in James chapter two, he says, the devil believes in the existence of God. You better bring something else to the table besides what the devil brings, you know? So he said, listen, you tell me you're a Christian and I have to judge you by your words. I'll show you by how I live that I'm a Christian. And, and what James was looking for, Paul has found in these Colossians. So Epaphras has testified, your verse says, of their vigorous spiritual life. And Paul has heard, he says, hey, I heard about this. And the spirit is bearing witness. So the three proper evidences of grace at work in the human soul, faith, hope, and love. Now, if you're deficient in faith, hope, and love, biblical definitions, by the way, if you're deficient in any of these, at best, you're an immature believer. And at worst, if you're lacking any of these qualities, then you may be lacking a born-again experience because it's pretty important. So, you know, Dr. Paul is looking for spiritual life. And so, you know, he's got the stethoscope out, you know, and he's, he's saying, okay, you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus. dum dum He's got a heartbeat, okay? Uh, you, you are loving God's people. Okay, here's something there. Uh, this new life is springing up from the hope, the assurance that you're going to heaven. Yep, lub-dum, lub-dum, lub-dum. He's got it. He says, hey, okay, he takes off the stethoscope and he says, hey, you've got a serious case of saved-itis, all right? <laughs> you've got a pretty good case of Christianity. Have you asked yourself, am I really saved? Are my sins really forgiven? Am I really going to be in heaven? A lot of people ask that, right? And he's saying, let me tell you, let me assure you, I, the Apostle Paul, am thanking God because of what I hear is evidenced in your life through faith through love and through hope. Let's take a look at faith. What does he mean by that? First of all, you better know that Paul uh, wants us to know that we can't produce any of these qualities. It's it's important to realize that none of these qualities, as uh, Paul is thinking of as being natural to us or even capable of being developed, even our faith. Yes, we say yes, Yes, we believe, but, but it's the Lord 
that, that brings faith and softens our heart. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us, and his kindness leads us to uh, repentance. God is the initiator. This is love for God, not that we first loved God, but he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, so God is seen as the initiator even of our faith. And so you'll see faith in Christ Jesus because everybody in the whole world, then and now, oh, you believe in God? Of course I believe in God. Everywhere. In Japan, 1% of the people are born again. And I would say all the time, kami no sonzai o shinjimasu ka? Do you believe in God? Hey, so this. Yes, I do. No, they don't. <laughs> they believe in the gods. They believe in the God of that province. They don't believe in Christ Jesus. And so when you talk with spiritual people, they all have a place for God. But he says, rule number one, and evidence number one, you have a personal relationship, a trust with Christ Jesus. Jesus, the Christ Jesus who was born of Mary, the Christ Jesus that grew up as we see in the Gospels, the Christ Jesus who has still visible scars on his hands and on his feet from the nail and the scar here. He said he had those scars in his post-resurrection body, that Jesus. The angel said, that same Jesus will be coming back. And so there's a lot of talk about this Jesus or that Jesus. We're talking about faith in the Christ, Jesus of the scriptures. And so that was the first thing, you know. And then this faith. What does this faith produce? This faith, when he says in Hebrews, evidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things unseen. That means that through faith, the unseen, invisible reality of God is made manifest through faith. So when a person has faith, that's not just blind faith. They're just not saying, I have faith in God. Their life is changed. The way they behave, the way they speak, what they used to be, how they used to be, right? The evidence of things unseen through faith means a changed life. Uh, we walk on water. By faith, we do things that we could never do without God. By faith, Peter got out of the boat and did something he could have never done or been. And that's the story of our lives. We get out of the boat of our, of our limited human lives and we start being somebody and doing things and saying things and thinking things and changing our direction of our life that we would have never thought possible. That's faith in action. By faith, we'll, we'll build an ark. When God says, build an ark, because I'm going to bring some water. Well, it had never rained yet. But by faith, because he said, I have faith in the Messiah, he builds. He builds. He sees something that was invisible. He makes it uh, visible. We stretch out the hand. When Jesus says, stretch out the hand that doesn't work. And the guy's like, well, can't you see it doesn't work? But by faith in the Lord's word, he's like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work. But because he had faith, right? So, so here's what Paul, James is talking about. If you have faith, which when Paul says, hey, I heard about your faith. He's talking about people who had weakness and now they're strong. The people who are climbing out of boats and walking on water, as it were. Their lives are different. Drunk people are now 
upstanding, sober citizens, sexually immoral people because of their faith now. They are self-controlled and they have virtue, Christian virtue. Scam artists are now honest people. How did that happen? How did Matthew, the, uh, the, the greedy little treacherous tax collector, he becomes what? By faith, he becomes one of the gospel writers. And so when Paul says, I've heard of your faith, he's saying, I heard about all of this stuff going on. That's what he's talking about. Now, how did that happen? Faith in Christ Jesus brought them in union with his spirit, and it was evidenced in life transformation. And, and so number two is the love. He says, I see the faith. I see the changed life. Uh, and I see and hear about how you're loving each other. Now, John's test for salvation in First John is if you say you love God, but you don't love God's people, I'm quoting John, he says, then you're a liar because you can't love the evidence of the unseen God in a congregation and say that you love the invisible God. You have to be loving what God is doing in his church. And, he, and that's what he's talking about here. This commandment to love, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. What's new about a commandment that the, was in the Old Testament? That you love one another the way I have loved you. So the newness of the old commandment is the, is the intensity, the, the new extreme that I want you to love someone to the cross, to the death, to the end, to the sacrifice. That's how I want you to love one another. And if you love one another like that, the world will take note and say, wow, there's something going on connected to Jesus with, the, with these people because of this kind of love. And so this kind of love, he's saying, hey, I heard about your love. He's saying, I heard about you guys overlooking each other's faults, cutting each other's slack, forgiving each other 70 times seven. That when you walked into a home fellowship group at Colossae, there was warmth, there was love. They had laid their differences down. Nobody was saying, oh, I don't talk to her or watch out for him. They had each other's back because that's what love is. I mean, uh, he's saying, I've heard about your love being patient and kind, not envying, not boasting, not being rude, not self-centered, not easily irritated, not keeping any record of wrong, not letting any bad behavior go, but uh, caring about the truth, always protecting each other, always trusting one another, always being hopeful with each other and never giving up. That's straight out of 1 Corinthians 13. And so, you know... There's love here. People need rides somewhere. Uh, I saw somebody on Facebook sitting with somebody here through their chemotherapy treatment. I hear stories all the time. Somebody's in need, somebody makes a meal or brings a box of groceries or somebody's feeling alone. I, I see people go up to them and sit with them and welcome them and invite them over to their home. This is the kind of love that he says, hey, 
I've heard about your faith. Wow, lives are turned upside down and everybody's like changing, moral transformation. I've heard about your faith. That's what faith is. And now I've heard about your love. And I thought that, oh, they just, they send each other cards or they have warm, fuzzy feelings for each other. Sending each other cards, yeah, okay. But, you know, this is the kind of love when you get your toes stepped on, that you turn the other cheek and you cut the person some slack. Why? Because the same blood of your sweet Savior, Jesus, was shed for you, was shed for them, and made you too. Brothers and sisters in the Lord forever. Same Father, same Spirit who joins our hearts, same common uh, destiny was averted. We, everybody in this room could have ended up perishing. But if you're all saved and I'm saved, if we're all together with faith, love, and hope and Jesus Christ, we are going to spend forever together We share the cross, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the same Father. Of course, we have to love each other. Not like the world loves. Everybody loves somebody who loves them back. Jesus said, what's different about you guys? That you're all uh, bent out of shape about getting your feelings hurt. You didn't get invited to a party. Are you kidding me? People at at a corporation down the street do better than that. I want you to go the whole distance, and that's what love is about. And hope, of course, check this out. This was surprising. Uh, Paul's saying, don't think about our hope as a result of faith and love, but the reverse. Look at your text. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. So here's what he's saying. This is a new thought. The assurance of heaven our hope, is inspiration and motivation for our faith and our love. So the fuel and inspiration to keep on loving people, that's hard, hard work, and keep on trusting Jesus when it's hard is difficult and challenging. The, the, the motivation to do that is this hope of what's waiting for us in heaven. Now, English word hope, very different, as I've told you many times, from the Greek word hope. The English word hope has a possibility that it's not going to happen, the thing you're hoping for. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I have enough money to buy my new toy. You know, I I hope dinner's going to turn out good tonight. It might, and it might not, (laughs) as you well know. Now, biblical hope, check this out. It's the confident assurance, the anticipation of a future reality that's not yet realized, but that must come to pass. It's not a question of if it will. The question is when it will happen. So that is what's sustaining them. Their destiny in heaven and all of the glory of whatever that means. And it's hard. It's very hard because the Bible just confesses, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it even entered into your mind, in your imagination or your heart, the things God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even think about it. How do you describe a beautiful sunset to a person born blind or the taste of of an exotic 
tropical fruit to somebody who's never tasted that. It just is, it's beyond us, even though that same scripture says, but God's spirit has given us a glimpse. We've got a glimpse, and poor John, he gets a glimpse. God brings him up. He says, whether I was in the body or it's a spiritual thing, I don't know. All I know is I'm going to try to tell you what heaven's like. And, he, and he's like, oh, it's, it's shiny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like oh, oh, rubies and sapphires and, and, and the streets. Gold. Um, you know, there was something in front of the throne. It looked like glass. Um, I, I'm running out of adjectives. Why? Because he can't describe it. Paul got a glimpse and said the very same thing. He says, there are no words. He says, that glory, that is your destiny, that the sky will light up, or one day you'll just be doing something and a trumpet sound will go and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up into the heavenlies and then brought into the place that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been preparing for us. That day is coming. And he says, that assurance, that hope that is on its way. It's just a man, the clock is ticking. It's closer now than 45 minutes ago it, or whenever it was that we all got together. It's closer now. It's closer now. And yes, it's closer now. You know why? Because there's one far off divine event toward which all creation moves. And that day is coming. You will see the face of the God who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. You will meet the one who knit you together in your mother's womb and his hand with the scar will reach out and dry the tears off of your face. Now, if that doesn't give you motivation to keep trusting Jesus in the difficult times and keep loving those Christians who fall short of your glory. <laughs> if that doesn't give you cause, right? That's what he's saying. Keep your eyes on the hope that's in store for you. I didn't even get to half of it. When Jesus says, whoever overcomes, and by the way, John says, whoever's born of God overcomes. Whoever overcomes, born again Christians, to them I will give right to sit with me, God speaking, on my throne with a crown and judging the world to come. That hope, that reality that will come soon encourages me to go ahead and love in harder, more difficult ways and go ahead and trust God with all things. Amen? Amen. So he says, listen, I did the math. He told me, you got a lot of faith. It changed lives. You've got a lot of love. You're overlooking never fences and you guys are together and united doing things for each other, watching out for each other. And you've got your eyes open on what's coming. Check, check, check. You're good. You don't listen to anybody who says you're missing something else. You've got the only thing God is offering. Stick with it. 
That's what he's saying. Then he's going to talk about the gospel because they're going to attack the gospel. And that you have already heard about, he's saying, you know about the word of truth. Love that. The gospel, the word of truth. It's come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace. Those are important words. In all its truth, you learned it from Epaphras. Here's our our senior pastor, our dear fellow servant who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and he's also told us about your love in the spirit. And so now he's going to talk now about the wonderful gospel. The message is absolute truth. It doesn't need to be uh, fixed. It doesn't need to be changed. You know, so just like today, there are worldly philosophies mixed in with the truth and all kinds of teachings and every wind of doctrine. And uh, they had some visitors that had come and upset them there. And so the, the, the church, the Colossians, needed to be assured that they had found the truth, or better yet, that the truth had found them. So notice, they didn't discover it. It found them. He says, the gospel has come to you. Now, that, that's big. God sends the truth into a world that does not have any truth, none. None of his truth, right? So listen to this. It, it, it's the only truth. The gospel or the good news, the scriptures, is the absolute truth that cannot be known. It is not here. It never was on earth. It's not in any man. Nobody ever stumbled onto this. It had to come from another place and another person, and that would be Jesus Christ who claimed to be truth in a body. He said, I am the way, the truth. I am the truth. So this is the scandal, of course, that non-Christians have a difficult time with. This truth did not originate here. It has to come to us. So Christ alone is the source and the essence of the truth. Uh, It's revealed in a message called the gospel, which means good news. Truth, God's truth is contained and preserved in the Bible alone. Okay, and so it's entrusted to the church. Jesus said to Peter and the church, he said, I'll give you the keys to this truth, to the kingdom. So if anybody ever wants to know how to get their sins forgiven, they have to come to what Paul calls in 1 Timothy. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church has the truth. Christians have the truth. The Bible is the truth because it's all in Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And that is, if you have that, you have the truth. And that's what the Colossians needed to know. You don't need a more enlightenment or things change, you know. No, 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 you know, uh, upgrade your operating system of faith. You really don't need to do that here. And so Christ is the source. The Colossians need to look nowhere else and reject all others because Jesus said, I'm the truth and apart from me, there is no way to heaven or the Father. And so notice always that the word of truth is associated with Jesus, but it comes to us in something called the gospel. The word gospel just means glad tidings, Old English, or good news. 
Now, what is the good news? The good news is, my friends, it is appointed unto men once to die. Death is hanging over your head. And because you have to die, the reason for that is your sins. Your sins have caused you to have to die. And then when you stand before God, you will incur his wrath for those sins and die again in what is called the second death, where you are separated first from your body, and then the second death is when you're separated from God himself and all of life into what Jesus calls outer darkness. First, the bad news. Now, what is the good news? The good news is because God loves us. He became one of us as the God-man, and he took on our sins, the wages of sin, was death, and so he took on a human body, and he stood before God the Father, and he said, put all of their sins on my account, lay their sins, past, present, and future, on me, and take out your wrath on me, for I bear their sins. And so he did that. So the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, so that we would have our sins covered over, and we would be raised to new life. This is the essence of what the gospel is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's pretty simple. I love how Romans puts it. If you declare, if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he's alive, that God raised him from the dead, Jesus, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. As the scriptures say, everyone who simply calls on the name of the Lord shall be spared. So the good news is everything for nothing, just trusting that he took your sins and your punishment for you and everything for nothing. And then his Holy Spirit comes in and you respond not to obtain salvation, but as a response to having been saved, now the good works start to flow. And that's the gospel. And, and you know, I like that he says, who you, through whom you heard, it, you heard it from Epaphras. Raise your hand if you're a Christian today because someone told you the gospel. Raise your hand. Everybody, please, just put your hand up because that was a trick question. Romans goes on to say in that chapter 10, everyone, shall, everyone who believes the word, trusts in Jesus, shall be saved. And then he says, how can they be saved unless they hear the message? Because listen to me, Faith, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the message of Christ. And then he goes on to say, how's anybody ever gonna get saved if they don't hear? So if there's nobody sent or nobody's talking, nobody's gonna get saved because that's the only way you get faith is through hearing the message, you see? So what I immediately just thought, oh man, I gotta talk more. I gotta share. I mean, no offense. I mean, I, I mean, not at this moment, but whatever. You guys gotta do some talking. I I wish I could get 
to your family. I really wish I could get to your coworkers. I really wish I could be at Thanksgiving, you know, there with, with somebody talking about, you know, all religions are the same. Let me at them. <laughs> Invite me over, all right? Well, how about you? You're just going to sit there and say nothing? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the message of Christ, the good news, you don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to be obnoxious or hypocritical or self-righteous about it. But if God gives you an opportunity, my word, there is only one way. Every single person you see in heaven had to hear somebody had to tell them. Every single person you see in heaven got there because somebody opened their mouth. Let it be you. Let it be me. Amen? Amen? All right, so he said, you had to hear it. And about, man, I, everybody, who, everybody who took some courage to talk to me, a 19-year-old kid, godless, hell-bent. But my dad, my Jewish dad, I told you, he came home one day with a Bible. He's all excited, suddenly. And I just thought, he's gone insane. Senility has hit a little early. And so he's reading the Bible at dinner time. I'm 18 years old. I can't wait to get away from him and this Jesus who's going to ruin all my Friday nights forever. <laughs> and so uh, he's telling, I'll never forget it. He, he started reading from Revelation where the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. And I just thought, I felt, oh. I felt something, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I went back, and I went to my bedroom. I was falling asleep that night, and I said, Jesus, if you're up there and you're listening to this, just let me know, because I don't want to go to hell. You know, <laughs> Then I lived like the devil for a year, right? But Jesus heard that prayer. And he just started sending people to tell me. You know, I was on Powell Street waiting for a cable car. There was a street preacher. I've told you this before. And I'm thinking, oh, no, dad, dad's message. And oh, no, Jesus. And there it is again. You know, and it was everywhere I was trying to run from. And, you know, this guy's preaching with an open Bible. And he's bouncing a tennis ball. And it's just driving me crazy. And I'm hiding in the crowd, right? And, and he starts to walk. And I'm like, he's going to come talk to me. He's going to find me. I just know it. And he walked straight up. There's a big crowd. He walked straight up to me and says, hey, do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal savior? And I'm like, no, but I have a funny feeling I'm going to. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And he says, what does that mean? And I said, well, what's my father's? I'm, I'm up here running away from him. And my sister just drank the Kool-Aid. And now she's one of you guys. <laughs> And I have a coworker who's always talking, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The other night I was in front of a bar and a guy had an open Bible and said, hey, man, do you know the Lord? I'm like, what's happening? And he's like, dude, the Lord is after you, you know? And so he started talking to me, but I needed, and that poor guy spent an hour with me. He doesn't know. He doesn't know I got saved. I was a missionary. I've been a pastor. He knows nothing. I can't wait to see him and hug him for at least a thousand years. We got, lots, <laughs> we got a lot of time up there. You know, he took the time on a Saturday to go and talk to people who didn't want to hear anything from him. And he walked up and he made a dent in me. 
He made a dent so that when it was my time, because of his little dent and my father's dent and my sister's dent, you know, got through to me. The gospel comes to everybody. And Jesus, our God and Savior, wants all men and women to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. But he needs our help and cooperation. So just a new passion to share. And so wrapping up, he says, hey, by the way, this is not just going on in Colossae. He says, this is going on all over the world. He says, let me tell you about the governor of Cyprus. He's one of us now. And let me tell you about Malta. Let me tell you about the work of God going on. You want to talk about islanders upside down? You ought to check out Malta and Crete. Let me tell you about Europe. Let me tell you about Philippi, a Roman jailer and his family. Let me tell you about a fortune teller who made a a lot of money for her boss, but she was using demonic power. She's one of us now. Because why? Because this truth, this gospel, this Jesus, this salvation got a hold of that fortune teller and got a hold of the drunk guy in Corinth and the sexually immoral Mary Magdalene and turned her from a homewrecker and an immoral woman into the first witness of the resurrection. That gospel, that Jesus, this message. So when they come around with their little Oh, our eyes have been opened to a new progressive way to think about the gospel. You shut the door politely and say, no, thank you. Or you invite them to church and you help them to come to the knowledge of the true gospel and true salvation. Amen? Amen. It just goes on. He's saying, man, you learned it from Epaphras and you understood God's grace and this is the gospel. Make sure you don't leave it. He says, there's no other power that can save you from sin. There's no other God who can save you from death. There's no other truth that can set your heart free. There's no other father who can love you the way he does. And there's no other message that can bring you eternal life. I love, and I'm closing with this, this John 6, where Jesus just packed the place out with bread for 5,000 people, miraculously, fed them all. And then they said, hey, we want some more. You know, our forefathers, God gave them bread. So they're quoting scripture to get some more bread from them, right? So they're saying they ate miraculously in the wilderness this stuff called manna. The bread came down from heaven, so come on, let's see some. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, that's a picture of me. I'm the bread of heaven. I came down as God in a body to give my life as bread. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Your forefathers, they ate the manna, they died. Anybody who eats of this bread and drinks this blood will live forever. It was just a metaphor about the work on the cross and ingesting that as like a meal, right? And so a lot of them said, hey, that's, that's too much for us. We're leaving. And I love this. And it goes with exactly what the Colossians needed to hear from Peter. Jesus looked at Peter and everybody's taken off. Oh, that's a hard teaching. Who can accept those words? I'm the bread of heaven. I came down from heaven. Are you going to leave too, Peter? 
And he says, uh, excuse me, where else would we go? <laughs> you alone have the words of eternal life. Peter's saying, now wait a second. You're asking us if this was too heavy of a teaching? We just saw you on a boat tell the wind to be quiet, and everything went, yes, sir, you know, and the boat went, wow, you know, you're the one who goes to a funeral and wakes the guy up, you know? <laughs> you know, somebody's born blind, and you're like, okay, you know, what, what can I do for you? He says to a blind guy who was born blind, what can I do for you? He says, well, I want to see. He goes, okay, done. He's like, oh, I can see. You know, where else would you like us to go? You may say some difficult sounding things, but you alone have the mask. When you talk, our hearts open up. When you talk, when you say the words, whoever believes in me shall never die, then what does he say? He says, do you believe me? He says it a couple times. He'll say something, and then he says, do you believe this? And then he tells Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. If anybody believes in me, they'll never die. Do you believe me? There it is. Heaven or hell. In the response to the gospel message. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we believe. <laughs> we believe all the way. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You have revealed that to us. No flesh and blood did, but our father in heaven. And father, we, we want to be encouraged by what we've been living out. <laughs> the gospel, our salvation, the message of truth. It's just so good. We can talk about it every day. Lord, it never grow tired of the thought of almost perishing almost losing everything. And just by your good grace, you saved us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the hope of heaven and how it inspires us to walk with you in faith and love. In Jesus' name, amen. I just couldn't wait to get back up here and say this to you. <laughs> You are living in the last days and it is prophesied that men will love falsehood better than the truth and you are surrounded. You are surrounded by progressive Christians now who want to change and upgrade this gospel that was once and for all entrusted to the saints and God's people. Jude verse 3. Do not budge an inch even if it means you're going to be more popular or more accepted. You can't be changing the gospel about heaven and hell and what's sinful and what's not so that you fit in better and people applaud you and look how enlightened and tolerant you are. You cannot be more uh, forgiving than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ forgave her and said, go your way and stop sinning. That's the part they leave off. It's just like, don't condemn anybody. You can't be more forgiving than Jesus or wiser than the Apostle Paul. The gospel has a boundary. It is some things and it is not other things. And you live in an age that's prophesied they will abandon sound teaching. Don't be one of them. Do not be one of them. Whatever it costs you, if it costs you a friend, if it costs you your father, your mother, 
if it costs you your brother, if it costs you a problem at the table. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword from now on because of me. There'll be three on this side of your table and two on this side. I came to separate a a daughter-in-law from her mother-in-law, a son from his father, a sister from their brother because of me. Do not take that sword away. You take the sword away for peace. And it sounds so spiritual. Oh, we all get along because you changed the gospel. We're not supposed to all get along. In that sense, you get it. If there's somebody here, you need to be saved. We're going to say a prayer at the end. And we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. If a sermon like this, it's the message of the gospel. You realize, hey, I haven't officially ever asked the Lord to be my Savior. It's about time. Today's your day. Uh, Why don't you slip your hand up nice and high and say, include me in that prayer, because I want to give my life to Christ for the first time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else want to join that eager hand that went flying up? All right, we have a couple sightings out there. Let's pray the sinner's prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I have been running from you, and I am sorry. I believe in you. I am repenting of my sins. I open my heart to you. Change me. Wash me clean. Give me a new life. Let me live forever with you. I dedicate myself to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Heavenly Father, now for the rest of us, may we just be more emboldened by that hope of eternal life to live with more faith and more love. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.